Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Youssef, welcome to Strategic Financial Leadership. Um, I'm excited to have you on the show today. So welcome in and let's jump in with some questions. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm excited. So can you share with the audience a little bit about your background? I I always like to um, introduce people and hear more about their story about how they got to where they are today. And I'm curious about yours. Well, my story uh, starts, you know, pretty long ago, fortunately, in in, uh, this in this industry. Born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, grew up in South Los Angeles in the born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s. So all of the pop culture and, 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 you know, the, the nostalgia that goes with, with that area and that specific time, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, um, that's where I was raised. And then uh, went to UCLA, uh, economics major, started teaching math at a middle school, in a local middle school in Los Angeles, and then um, was being supported and mentored by a, a gentleman that knew how to um, buy and sell homes and uh, started buying and selling one to four units in South Central Los Angeles in the late, you know, mid to late nineties and did that, you know, had a lot of lumps and bumps in the road and a rocky start and, and finally smoothed the operations out and started a stable business and took that stable business and scaled it to multifamily first here on the West coast in, in Arizona. And then I went to Illinois and then I went to the Carolinas and, and then I did my multifamily, um, pretty much most of my activity in the Southeast, uh, Georgia and specific. And, um, yeah, I live in Los Angeles now. I just, uh, had my home. So I sold a home that I had in Georgia and now I'm continuing my career with even more vigor and excitement because, you know, hopefully we have a light at the end of the pandemic tunnel and uh, we have to readjust as investors and keep moving forward. Yeah. So when you say real estate, like what are you doing now exactly when it comes to real estate? Uh, multifamily. What I did was I started in single families and, and repositioning those. And I took a, a successful track record in a boutique part of the investment, my investment population and started to invest in 20 unit, 40 unit, and eventually 100, 200 unit um, properties. And when you say invest, so you're buying the properties, you're, you're making some improvements and then you're flipping them and selling them, or are you taking a whole position or, or what are you doing exactly? Well, you know, the market usually determines what the strategic step will be. But yes, I mean, the repositioning could be a sale. The repositioning could be a hold, which I still hold properties now. The repositioning could be also a sell to myself, meaning, you know, I refinance the property, pay out some of the investors, and then move on with the long-term investment as the business plan has been executed. 
Sure. So that makes sense. So you said previously when you're younger, you're introduced to somebody who was into real estate and that's kind of how you got started. If you think, if you think back to those days, if you weren't connected with this person, do you think you'd still end up in real estate? Like, did you have a passion for it? Did you know that that's what you want to do with your economics degree or um, talk a little bit about how you got into it? Like what drew you into real estate and investing exactly? Well, um, I mean, I, I would like to say that I could forecast my, you know, the next 27 to 30 years of my life as a, as a 22 year old, but, but that wasn't the case. Basically, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit was, was there. Real estate was always a, um, something that I I looked to, but to be honest with you, Steve, I didn't know anything about it until I bought my first property and and, and lost some money which I thought was the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I was, I was paying my tuition of the school of hard knocks. Yeah. That's, that's so true. It's funny how we get started. Right. And you know, I was the same way. I started a business when I was 16 and, you know, I had no clue what I was, I was doing really. And I didn't think it was going to be like this, you know, long-term business per se. Um, it's just really to help me pay for college before it took off. But yeah, it's funny to look back and, you know, how we paid that tuition in the school of hard knocks and, and how we progress over time, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and by the way, I, I, I do like to, um, you know, give all of the credit in the world for the people who supported me and the, you know, the, the wiry kid, you know, had a lot of energy, but not a lot of knowledge, but, you know, wanted to kind of get started in, you know, in the early stages, buying deals and processing these deals. And, and, and I remember sitting at my desk as a teacher, one side of the, my desk was, you know, the attendance book and the homework log and the warm up for the day. And the other side was, you know, closing papers and, you know, construction plans and all. I said, you know what, I'm doing these children a disservice continuing to be at this career versus the next. So I had to just, you know, take a leap and, um, you know, go, go full bore. And, and, you know, that was the start. Well, and it's so interesting because, you know, I bought my first house when I was in my early twenties and, you know, I remember people around me at the time, this is back in like 2000, um, early 2000s. And, you know, the people at the time around me, they were talking about buying homes and stuff. And I just thought to myself, man, that just seems like such like an arduous task. Like it, it's just like the the paperwork or the process or what, it just seems so complicated. So I was just like, I, I told myself, oh, I can't buy a house now. You know, I, you know, it's just such a pain to do it. But then, you know, one of my friends was like, just talk to this lender of mine talk to the real estate agent, just like get the process going. And I did. And then what I realized very quickly is that, look, this process isn't really that complicated. So I think it's interesting in life, whether it's buying a home, starting a business, you know, you know, raising funds to invest in, in real estate assets or, or whatever it is, it seems so complicated, you know, from the outset and that complication can hold us back from like going and pursuing things that, you know, are bold or audacious. But, but once we get started, we realize like, look, you, you can figure it out along the way. I mean, what, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I have a um, you know a few thoughts on that. One is you're you're absolutely correct, and and basically, you know, we me I'm wired to you know survive first before I kind of stabilize myself and decide to thrive. So that survival you know risk uh, uh, lever or mechanism you know closes me off from certain things that I could could benefit me. And then once I kind of remove the veil of of okay, I'm looking forward versus where I am now. And uh, my, again, the support had, you know, several people around me that supported me in that 
kind of looking at the horizon, looking down the road to take my veil to, un, you know, to take the veil off of myself and say, Hey, you know, what, what does this look like? And how can I figure it out? What does this real estate investing space look like? And how can I figure it out? And then with some energy and, and, you know, some risk-taking, I did figure it out. Yeah. And I, and I think that's so, you know, important to understand like, Hey, look, you know, sometimes we look at risk. This is what I've been thinking about lately. It's funny how we perceive risk sometimes. Sometimes we think like, okay, if I don't go out and do the scary things, if I just kind of hold on to what I have right now, then I'm avoiding risks. But in fact, you know, sometimes staying exactly where you are, right. Whether it's with your, you know, your business or your career or whatever it is, sometimes staying where you are actually has more risks than going out there and pursuing something um, new. Does that make sense? Listen, Steve, I like the way this conversation is going. It's more is going towards the kind of the, the psychology of, of and, and the wiring of, of human nature. And it's kind of looking at, you know, why that wiring is there and if it's serving you and can you change it? Mm-hmm. So risk is a huge thing. And like you said, staying, you know, business as usual is risky, especially in this dynamic environment. I mean, we've went from, you know, 3D printing to AI to virtual reality to, you know, pandemic and all of those variables have, you know, disrupted things and and made themselves relevant to, you know, moving forward in anything that you do from the medical space to education to real estate investing. So if, if you're, if you're at a place where, you know, let me just not take any risk. Let me, you know, let me, let me fight change totally 1000% agree. The only constant is change. And it's very risky to, to search for, you know, business as usual. Yeah, I I totally agree. And it's funny because I think some people, you know, that I talk to, they're like, okay, you know, I'm sitting on a certain amount of assets or a certain amount of cash and that provides them safety. And, you know, so they get really scared and they're like, I don't want to do anything with, with this cash, with my savings account. Um, you know, whether it's starting a new business or investing in education or, you know, whatever it is, right. Whatever you would do to go invest that cash to, to better yourself and earn a return. So they just sit on it. And, you know, what I've been thinking about a lot lately is inflation. And I think inflation could be, you know, very, you know, damaging, obviously, if you're in a cash position and nobody knows, you know, inflation is so difficult to measure, but what I'm seeing out there is like, just when I go to the grocery store, you know, you go there and it's like, dang, bacon used to be four bucks a package. Now that my bacon's eight bucks, right? So it's, it's like doubled. Um, so I'm seeing inflation everywhere. And I think, you know, when we think about that in, in personal terms and we think, look, I'm just going to hold on to what I have right now. And like, it's scary to go out there in the world and learn new things and put ourselves out there and meet new people and establish connections and invest and do all these things, right. To just like live, to put yourself out there. So I'm going to just stay put in my own bubble and be safe, but it's almost like the erosion of cash is the same thing that's true in our lives. Like when we do that, like we are naturally like being inflated away, right? Like our, well, our well you say, you say something that is, is, is widely stated, but, but, you know, seldom understood and the widely stated you know known is is change and inflation is one of those factors in change whether you want to you know call it you know you're you're chasing dollars or or buying power is 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 decreasing or the erosion of, of a cash position all of those are change factors and they don't stay the same so the fact that someone is playing 
a game of staying the same while those factors are changing means exactly what you said, which is sometimes not widely understood. The risk is happening. (laughs) So, so what, what, what a person wants myself, I can only speak for myself and and if anyone in the audience is listening is, is basically the risks are of course measured. I mean, you know, I still look for returns and, and, you know, make sure that my NOI is correct or my IRR or, or the analytics that I'm doing on a certain property or, or deal or market, I'm diving into data, but that's past, those are past uh, figures. I'm fine with that, but I'm also understanding that I'm going to use a little bit of my, you know, um, open mindset to move forward because things are changing from the way people live and treat their homes and the way they act in the surface area that they give to their homes in these living spaces and the renters called my customers. I need to be able to meet, meet that demand in an appropriate way in order for my investment to, to create a returns. So it, there has to be for me, again, there has to be an amount of collecting new information and moving forward. Now, moving forward, you know, I want every, uh, you know, myself to be clear about this moving forward in a responsible way. If I start a new business and I can't, you know, feed myself, then that might not be the best, best timing. If I start a new business and I can't, you know, pay my rent that, and and that might not be the best timing. But if I start a new business, like you said, and you have some, some some, um, cash on the sideline or some resources on the sideline, well, for my, you know, personal disposition is why do I have that cash on the sideline? What else could it be doing for me? Sure. No, and I absolutely agree. I think that's smart. And I think if you try to just like, you know, hypothetically bury or metaphorically, I should say, you you try to bury your cash in a mattress, you know, that that's that's not what we're supposed to be doing with our talents in life. We're supposed to be making progress. And I know you're a big advocate of this idea of investing yourself. So maybe you can expand on what this means to you and uh, give us an example of a time where you invested in yourself. Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. Well, um, before I, I, I talk about myself, I want to talk about something that I've seen over the, my you know, 25 plus years uh, investing in working class real estate. What I found is that there is a literacy gap, a word gap, uh, you know, an information gap in, from, from childhood to adulthood. And that childhood literacy gap, you know, there's a lot of studies that show the stagnant movement through society. Uh, through the economy because of that. And if we and if and I've tried to, you know, put forth some of my effort and resources to to keep that discussion going for childhood literacy. And that includes financial literacy. So childhood literacy and financial literacy is a personal investment that could net amazing, amazing returns monetarily and, and just, you know, as far as the a person affecting society. Now, I just wanted to go to that side note because I actually have a board meeting later on that we, you know, I have to talk specifically about that and, and why I'm so passionate about it. And it's just because of that, you know, swath of society that I've been able to to serve over the 25 plus years in in my in my space. Now myself, I mean, you know what? One of the things that I, I guess, I, as I look back on my career, I'm a very curious person, so I, I like to learn things. 
I like to read things. I like to figure out how the world works, whether that's, you know, traveling to a different country and figuring out that culture or traveling through a journey of, you know, some some industry books and industry articles and figuring out how, how the world works through the eyes of, of, you know, thought leaders. So, you know, investment in myself stems from my curiosity of things. And I think, you know, hopefully my children, which they do, they're curious. Most, I think most or all you know, young minds are curious until they get to that point, which you said to bury the, <laughs> bury the head in the, the dirt, but feed that curiosity. And if you f- have a specific intent on how to feed that curiosity, then that food is, is an investment, a personal investment, information, experiences, people, cultures, markets. Yeah. I mean, isn't it funny? I mean, you said curiosity. It's so funny, you know, as parents, you know, I have two kids and I've heard, uh, you know, I overheard a parent telling their kid this, this one thing I'll, I'll get to in a second, but it's interesting as like parents, like we almost kill that curiosity out of our kids or, or the institutions that our kids go through. It almost like they're designed to, um, you know, teach these kids to be curious, but they're also like the norms, the standards, the cultures, whatever are, are also beating it out of them. You know, how, how often have you heard a parent say to their kids, stop asking so many questions right? oh, or like, you know, the, the kid saying, but why, why dad, why? why? And you're why? like, oh my gosh, why? you know, because, because I said so. Yeah. And it's like, you yeah. know, it, it's such, it's such an interesting concept because I think you're right. Like when you think of investing in yourself, like you know, you don't have to go to this, you know, prestigious college or get the next degree or whatever, you know, being investing in yourself is, is having that curiosity of like learning different things, reading books, talking to other people, you know, watching YouTubes, whatever it is, like, however you get information, but just like being curious about life, like having passion about life and different subjects and constantly expanding your, your mind. Well said, well said, those are, those are tangible, critical investing sentiments that you, you, you hit the nail on the head for me, you got to get around the information, however you decide to experience it. And once you get around it, it's specifically intended to get you to a different consciousness, a different level, a different uh, investment platform, whatever it, you know, you're moving, you're moving through this dynamic place called the market. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about the market. So being an expert in real estate, uh, you speak about having real estate in working class areas in your portfolio. Why do you think this is important? It's very important. And, and to me, you know, I, I feel I feel like I'm either like a mad scientist or an alchemist or whatever you want to call it. But basically, I understand that there, you know, there are areas, a, a large amount of areas in, in the world, but in, in certain markets that I've been in, and I call them working class areas that need value to be added to not only the asset, but also the community and those working class areas, which I grew up in. So it's in my bones on how to, um, you know, improve this. I go in there with the intent of abundant exchange. I go in there with the intent of allowing the residents to have a prideful place to live, a place that has integrity. You know, you bring your girlfriend home if you're a single guy. You you raise a you know a couple kids there if you a, a beginning family or whatever whatever population you know uh, section you come from. If you and this the pandemic has also underscored this. A prideful place to live is a successful asset, a rent paying asset, a rent enhancement asset. And I go into a working class areas with that attitude and I stay in those areas. I've been in different markets and luxury to, you know, kind of retail and some other stuff, but working class is my lane. 
where I've been able to meet to affect the most change. That's your sweet spot. So let's talk about investment portfolios and multipliers. So what is a multiplier and why does your portfolio need a multiplier? Well, a multiplier in layman's terms for me as an investor means I can take my my resources, my capital, and, and there are several ways that that resource or that capital is experiencing gains. Income, that's why you know multifamily property is, is attractive to me. Um, appreciation, you know, as the if you buy right, you don't necessarily the market is the market, but if you put yourself in a good investment position, then you also have the appreciation. And as you and me both know, you know, there's a tax benefit as well. So you have different factors that are increasing in your asset as you deployed your resource, your capital, it, it's a multiplying effect. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about investment right now in, in this you know, investment environment. And who knows how it'll change by the time this uh, episode actually goes live here and gets pushed out. But um, right now, I mean, it, it, it's crazy because when you look at the different asset classes, you have you know, stocks, uh, you have bonds, you have real estate, you have commodities. Those are the, the main asset classes here that I'm referring to. And if you look at them um, compared to other bubbles, right? Some argue that we're in a bubble, but if you look at 2001 with the dot-com, you know, you had a quick rise in equities and especially from tech stocks. And then, uh, you know, eventually that deflated and those assets got marked back down to fair value, but real estate at the time and bonds and, and commodities, they were reasonably priced. So there wasn't a massive, like writing back down to fair market value of those assets. And then you look at the, the housing bubble and it's like, okay, sure. The real estate was inflated at the time, but the other asset classes weren't as crazy. I mean, they, they were more than 2001. And then anytime there's this write down to fair market value, it's like super painful. So here we are, you know, you have high valuations on equities, you have bonds, you know, that are, are expensive. Uh, you have commodities that are on the rise. You have real estate that's up 20% over the, over the last few quarters. And you just have these, um, these massive increases in all asset classes across the board. So from your perspective with real estate, like how do you like navigate that? Because, you know, one expert will say, Hey, look, we're in a bubble, you know, real estate prices are unsustainable and they're eventually going to crash. You have other people that say, no, they're not going to crash. This is the new normal. Um, I mean, what's your take on that and, and what kind of advice do you have for the listeners? Well, you know, let's unpack this, you know, in a couple of ways. The first way is, you know, what, what any smart person would say is, you know, you, you definitely want to have a, a sense of diversity in, in your portfolio. So if you're, you know, all all in and full bore on equities and, you know, you haven't diversified across any other asset class, then it's probably not a smart thing to do. So, you know, that's a, a layer of insurance there. I mean, then you can add in cryptocurrency as well. I mean, you know, that's another um, emerging and significant part of, of the um, financial narrative now. Sure. So, so, you know, diversification. Now, the next thing is where are your skill set. Where have you invested in yourself to understand a specific market? For for me, it's real estate. So then I become diversified in real estate, diversified in different markets, uh, you know, the Southeast and the West Coast, or you know, the, so there's a, a level of diversification there. But then diversification across that particular asset class, I may have, you know, a building that has a lot of students in it, which I did. In, in Athens, Georgia for a while. Uh, and then, you know, I had a building in, um, in Atlanta and kind of the, the uh, central part of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta, where, where it was just, uh, 
you know, hipsters, you know, I'm an older guy. So I call them hipsters. I don't know, right. whatever you call them. They're just, you yeah. know, kind of, you know, uppity young 30 year olds, but they want access to stuff. They want sure. access to craft beer and scooters. I don't know. That's just right. what they <laughs> So, so again, the diversification in that asset class, what puts me in a, in a place where I sleep well at night is I understand the levers and I know what level levers as far as acquisition and added value to pull in any market, whether the market is being rewritten to a fair market value or a different uh, peg, or if it's swinging up or you know swinging down, it's I'm looking at it and say, oh, okay, we're the assets are being written down. Great, let's let's take this approach. Oh, okay, right now there's a, a you know a kind of a population migration shift right now. Okay, let's take this approach. So I can say that with a level not of 100% surety, but a level of confidence in my expertise, my space, but you know, I would give the encouragement to another, you know, investor to do the same in their space. They know the bond market. They know the equities market. They know the crypto market. Yeah, no, and I think that's smart. And and I think diversification is critical. And, you know, it's so tough because it's like with so much printing of money occurring right now, and you have so much quantitative easing, and there's so many factors that go into inflation, like we talked about before. It's like, you could sit on the sideline and say, look, I'm not going to invest right now. Let me just wait until things correct. Right. And that correction may never come or it may never never come to the the degree that you thought it would come to, right? Because absolutely think about the crash back in, you know, 2009, 10 of the real estate market. And people probably thought, oh my gosh, you know, I lost like so much equity in my house. How am I ever going to get to get out of this? And they just like walked from their mortgages and then fast forward, you know, a few years. And next thing you know, those same real estate assets are probably doubled, you know, almost doubled in, in valuation. So um, it, it's so hard to, you know, try to have a crystal ball and, and predict, but you also, you want to balance like sitting on the sidelines and not, you know, losing everything to inflation or losing everything to principal risk. Well, fortunately, the, the position where you stand is a good position where you're monitoring things and you're also taking a measured approach of how to participate, which I'm doing as well. But you can't speak for 90% of the population. Yeah. When, you know, the new, you know, flurby comes up, everybody buys it during the holiday season. And then, like you said, you know, you lose 30% of the value in your condo you bought in, in, in a hipster area or wherever, or the suburb, then you sell it. I mean, you can't control that. I can't control that. That's just the way the market behaves. But if you, you know, if you're watching it and, and you understand that, yeah, this is a part of the cycle that, um, you know, the emotional cycle, the financial cycle, and all the other factors that are into the rise and the fall of pricing and value, then you participate accordingly. No, and and it's interesting, you know, when it comes to inflation, because when you think about the stock market, you know, a lot of people talk about um, the stock market could be a, a decent hedge um, to inflation. You know, Warren Buffett says, "Hey, the best inflation hedge is investing in yourself." Going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, but you also have kind of an inflation hedge when it comes to real estate because if you're sitting on, you know, twenty percent equity, eighty percent debt, you know, in inflation takes off, you may be paying back that loan with inflated dollars, which can also be a multiplier in your portfolio. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So when inflation hits, you don't necessarily, you know, high five your partnership and your group, but you say, okay, what assets would, you know, best perform under these inflationary conditions? And then as things, you know, the quantitative easing happens and they're printing money or they're, you know, tightening up, things, interest rates are rising and you say, okay, 
what assets, you know, do we need to sell or do we need to, you know, take another financial position in, recapitalize? It's just, you know, people like yourself, smart investors are watching and not, the sky is never falling because all investments compete with each other. Sure. Every investment is competing. You know, everybody wants a six, eight, 10, 12 percent return. So if something over here is happening in a, a sophisticated way, that's, you know, resources are going to follow that. And if you're being responsible in your in your in your stock portfolio, then resources will follow that. If you're being responsible in your real estate portfolio, resources will follow that as well. But a lot of times I see in, in my industry, the irresponsibility, you know, over leverage, uh, you know, betting on the come line in Vegas, like, okay, this is the market will fix all the mistakes that we, you know, we did as far as added value. Well, you know what, hopefully that works for you. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So how do you, how do you strategically form partnerships and why do you think this is essential for individuals and companies? Well, I mean, you know, you, you can't know everything. And uh, in my space, you either bring in information, you're bringing the actual deal, the property, or, you know, you're bringing in capital. So you can have all three of those and bring that to a, a, an asset and affect the asset, add value to the asset, reposition the asset. Or you can create a partner, a strategic partnership to have that. So, you know, how do you form the partnerships? I mean, that's just a, a matter of collaboration skills and, and, and personality. And it's just a relationship like any other relationship. You want to you know, invest in it, nurture it and, and make sure that it has, you know, kind of the team or the one, one vision in mind, which is, you know, bringing value or completing a, the, uh, the business plan. Yeah. And let's talk about that a little bit more. So when it comes to uh, partnerships, have there been any lessons throughout your career, throughout your life where you're like, dang, you know, like I really screwed this up when it comes to partnerships or you're like, Hey, you know, this is something I do. And it, it really allows me to be successful. So I have, you know, if this was a piano, I got uh, extremes on every side of the note, uh, every side of the keys. (laughs) One extreme is, you know, partnerships went phenomenal. I mean, you have a, different skill sets, those skill sets not only support each other, there is kind of a synergistic effect once everybody kind of gets together and you, you're in a, a market and you get an asset and boom, you know, you take it away. And then there's partnerships. All those things could happen and they still, you know, the partnership is not, it's just not a, a, a comfy, cozy situation. It's more, you know, the, the politics of however the, uh, the group or the partnership is, is, um, operating. I've found success in both, but it's given me my outlook now in my career, which is I still have, you know, partnerships currently and I also form new partnerships as well, but it has to be a fit. It has to be a fit. I'm not, I'm not just looking for a skill set, which I am, but I'm also looking for a fit. Okay. What, what, what time is it in, in, in your career that makes this a good thing for you? You know, my knowledge, my track record, your, your knowledge, your track, like where, where are you with things? I'm, I'm more of a, yeah, let's make this a comfortable fit and and be in alignment versus, you know, kind of academically on paper. This looks good. Yeah, I agree. That, that's great advice. What about from like going back to the investing in yourself? Do you have any book recommendations for investors or do you have like a favorite book that um, you recommend to the listeners? Um, you know what? Money Master the Game was a good book for me. It was by Tony Robbins, but what he did was he interviewed every billionaire, you know, in the last 
20, 30 years, you know, just any interview from Ray Dalio to, to Warren Buffett to everybody, you know, and uh, it just kind of did exactly what we're doing. Just pulled as much information out of their brains as possible about all the things that we're talking about, inflation and market drivers, and investing in yourself and things like that. That was a pretty, that was a pretty good book, you know, to kind of dive into and just, uh, you know, get the experience. I remember read it maybe five, six years ago, but that just came to mind. Um, you know, now I'm, I, it's so much information out there. I'm, I'm watching a lot of things and reading things. Uh, you know, I follow, you know, a few people. So, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like you're, you're going to be attacked by a bird. Are you okay? <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I'm actually on my patio and, you know, for some reason there's a population of crows that are, uh, there's all kinds of animals around here. I'm in Los Angeles, by the way, but the uh, crows are, you know, they're trying to show their influence around here. Okay, you better be careful. They, they might come down and, and peck your head or something. Exactly. I might have to close my my, my window. I got all my, my windows up. It's a nice day. No, it's funny because, yeah, I, I had some birds on my balcony and um, they built a nest and is this big ordeal of waiting for them to like hatch their eggs and fly away. And it's it quite the thing. But yeah, I had birds like flying all over the place. And yeah, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. Okay, so back, back to this. Um, I mean, oh, what books are you reading, by the way, I, 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 before we go, for, you know, and, and now I remember I read a um, Ryan Holiday. I read a, a couple books by Ryan Holiday. He's a young guy and he just, you know, I kind of like the way he writes. And uh, yeah, just um, what books are you reading or what books have you, uh, you read? I'm always looking. Yeah. So um, Greg McCowan, who actually I'm having as a, a guest on the podcast here, but he wrote a book. His first book was called Essentialism, which I love. And it just talks about like, how do you focus on like the most essential things? Because so often we focus on the good stuff at mm-hmm. the mercy of the great stuff, right? We're trying mm-hmm. to do so much, but we're not focused on the right things. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote a follow-up book called Effortless, where he's talking about like, so often we think about, you know, things and it's like, you got to grind and you got to work so hard and just like stick to it. And sometimes it's like, sometimes the path of least resistance is an okay path, but sometimes we think, oh my gosh, if we're not grinding and it's not so much friction and so difficult to achieve it, we're on the wrong, wrong path. So it's a great follow-up book, Effortless by Greg McCallan. Um, but I have a, one of my favorite books, it, it's kind of this, this book I listen to like once a year, it's called um, How to Fly a Horse. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> and How to Fly, it's kind of an interesting title, but uh, How to Fly a Horse is, is about this idea uh, that creation is a process. And most people think like creation, um, well, he talks about like dispelling the myth of creation where we believe like some people are just like naturally talented and like Mozart just sat down one day and like came up with like this whole, all, all these different tunes and, and whatnot and all these masterpieces. And it's like, that's not true. You know, they worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and we all have creativity within us, but it's disguised as work. So I love that book. I listened to that, um, once a year and, nice. um, but yeah, and that, that's written by Kevin Ashton, but, um, I'm always listening to books. I, th- I think it's so important because, you know, I, I think like our mindsets, like our biggest, like limiting factors. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately. And as I talk with other executives and CFOs, and especially as I, you know, talk about reinventing the CFO and we just did like our annual study and, and push that out to the market about CFOs and the modern CFO and, and what they're up to, but it's like, Sometimes we get stuck in life, whether it's personally or professionally. And I think like we get stuck because our mindsets, we have these like fake stories that we tell ourselves, which are just a bunch of garbage oftentimes. And they, but they create these like artificial limits on us. 
So it's like all the resources that we need to be successful are like right around us. They, they like exist right around us, like the connections we need, the resources we need, but we can't tap into them because our mindsets are like stuck. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, uh, I think Cheryl DeWick, Open Mindset, um, that was a great book. I read that. You know, I try to not only teach my children, I, I also try to learn from them and, and how they have that childlike mind approach to, um, to life you know, learning new skills. Cause you know, I put them in all kinds of stuff and, and watch that whole process. Like you were talking about to, to kind of mine what their endowed gifts are and develop things that, you know, they're interested in. So, you know, um, that, that book was great. And, and I totally agree with you regarding the mindset. I actually read a book. Let me try to think of the name of it. Supernatural. Uh, it was a book called Supernatural and it was about, you know, the mindset and how to rewire the mind from, you know, these old patterns and they had a lot of, you know, scientific evidence and support from the medical industry about how the mind works. And uh, yeah, I, I totally get it. I mean, I'm constantly, that's, that's one of my investment areas. It's just like, okay, Yusef, you know, you, are you a dinosaur <laughs> or you are, are you a dynamic, you know, up-to-date leader? And a lot of times I have, I, there's, you know, learning to do, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of learning to do. And, you know, sometimes I go kicking and screaming and sometimes I say, okay, I'm going to just surrender to this new thing. And it's all mindset. It's all mindset. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, even going back to the beginning of the episode where you're talking about like, Hey, this is where I got started. I got started in single family. I made some mistakes. I lost some money at first. I thought it was the end of the world. And then I, I imagine each of your investors investments becomes you know, more, I don't know what the word is sophisticated, or maybe the deals become a little bit bigger or, you know, returns become healthier, you know, as you put yourself out there and you're constantly making bold moves. And it's funny because like all these real estate investments, you know, not literally not like, but you know, real estate's been around, you know, this whole time you're growing up, it's just, what's changed is your mindset. Right. And like, absolutely. Because probably when you were younger, you thought I would never, you probably never thought you would be where you are today. You know, and I think the same is true for me. You know, I, I never thought that it's because my mindset wasn't there. So it's like constantly like fostering this new mindset, I think is, is so critical. Yes. And, and one of the ways to foster that mindset is, is conversations like we're having it, you know, cause we, there's a lot of X's and O's in, in, in what we do. And yes, those X's and O's, you know, you need, you need to have a good command of them, but the mindset is, is more important than I know a lot of people in my industry, the rise and fall of the real estate investor. I mean, those are just, you know, dead bodies on the riverbank. And then I know a lot of people who are wild, wildly successful. And, you know, from my experience, there, there is no intelligent factor or no, you know, whatever. It's just a mindset, mainly a mindset. Sometimes there's environmental factors and there are some other things involved, but it's just a mindset. And even, you know, to this day with, with all the information and technology available to us, you know, the mind, the mindset of the investor, the mindset of the, you know, the C-suite um, person, you know, has to be constantly fed and, and up to date to deal with the new variables that are, are coming across their desk. Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. This has been a, a, a fantastic conversation and I really like what you're doing out there in the world of real estate. I, you, you know, you're having a, a big impact out there. So any parting words, like if you were to give advice to to somebody, whether it's personally or professionally, based on your experience and and what you've been going through in, in life overall, like what what piece of it, of advice do you want to leave our listeners today on the show? Let's see. You know what? If, if someone was listening, if it was me, rewind and I and I'm rewinding the clock. You know, a 
couple decades. Um, I would say, you know, most most kids and most young adults and even even people starting, you know, adults, mature adults starting in a different um, field is their curiosity. Stay curious because curiosity leads us, leads me to the unknown. And the unknown is where all the benefits are, all the profits are, all the gains are, all the, you know, the new, the new experience in, in, in life. And um, that curiosity is something to hone and to be very intentional about. And also I would say, you know, just keep going, keep moving and understand that the only thing that is for sure is think that things are going to change. I mean, who, who would have known, you know, 2021, we're sitting here with a Delta variant of a pandemic that is, you know, pretty much almost crippled the medical industry. Absolutely. And I, and I love that, you know, and I love those parting words just about being curious because, you know, I think that's what keeps us sharp and it keeps us fresh and it keeps us excited and passionate about life. Like when we have that curiosity and that desire to learn and grow and constantly improve our mindset, I, I think, you know, the world opens up to us and, and there's so many opportunities out there. So I appreciate those words and I appreciate you being on the show. Um, so thank you for your time and, and gifting us your expertise and your insights today. I really, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thanks so, so much for having me, Steve. You're doing a great job with, with your platform and, and I appreciate, you know, you have me on with all these esteemed guests. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at cultivar.com. I would love to connect all the best.